0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new era of That Time When. That
1: Time When!
0: Now, hopefully, you should be hearing us with perfect clarity because we have new New microphones. microphones! We've been very excited about this. We almost missed them Uh, when they (laughs) came for delivery today.
1: We were 10 minutes late because we were going on a nice National Trust walk.
0: Yes, because that's how middle class we are. Oh, yes. Yes.
1: Now, speaking of
0: class, actually, that, that factors quite heavily into what I'm talking about today. But I just want to say, like, there's a thing about, I think, the British, shall we say. Go on. We love a mystery.
1: We do love a mystery. We
0: love a mystery. We like true crime as well. We
1: like true crime. We like Agatha Christie. We like um, speculating wildly about Jack the Ripper.
0: (laughs) There is a lot of speculation about Jack the Ripper, isn't there?
1: I mean... I've got to say, I think we introduced Jack the Ripper into children's lives quite early on in, like, given the details and our beliefs about it, like... Yeah, I'm trying, like, I
0: swear I probably heard about Jack the Ripper in primary school. I
1: think I heard about him in year four. Yeah. And he gets mentioned a lot in um, Terry Deary's Horrible Histories book series as well. Oh,
0: yeah, but from what I understand, those are not the best
1: they're not the best but they are a way of introducing children to history they definitely work for me
0: that's true yeah 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 I I remember there were a couple of his books that I read like time and time again over and over oh yes yeah it it was of that sort of time where you could just go through them and it's like earlier on Mm -hmm. earlier on a bit younger you just look at the funny cartoons you get a bit older, and then you start reading the actual things. Yeah. like, oh, yes, yes, history. History. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> aside from that, I have a mystery to talk about today.
1: How many murders?
0: Uh, well, probably none, I'm afraid. Ooh, I
1: like the probably there. That's well, very mysterious. Well,
0: okay, okay. I say probably because we don't know exactly what's getting <laughs> involved here. Okay. But I want to talk to you about an individual who... Some people may know. Some okay. people may know about him. He's not He's not entirely unknown, but I think the exact details of his case are very interesting. Okay. Now, this is a gentleman called Sir Roger Tichborne.
1: I know Sir Roger Tichborne. Yeah? I know Sir Roger Tichborne because you used to go to Guildford University, <laughs> and on the road along towards Guildford, yeah. there was the pub, the Sir Roger Tichborne. Yes, it's
0: in Billingshurst, and uh, it was... It's an amazing place. Now I'm I'm going to save exactly why this place was like fun yeah. for the end when we when we talk about exactly what's going on here. So, at first I just want to talk about a bit about like Sir Roger Titchborne's early life before okay. he was the sir.
1: Sir so Roger Titchborne sounds like he should be the sort of gentleman who spends a lot of time out of doors. Probably doing things in his garden.
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> really, no. Oh, no. Okay, so Roger Tichborne was the first son of James Tichborne. Okay. He himself, James Tichborne, was the youngest son of Henry Tichborne, who was the seventh <laughs> baronet Tichborne.
1: <laughs> Tichborne kind of loses its I sense as a word, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. So this, this is a family who had the title of baronet. Okay. Now... I don't know if our listeners will know exactly what a baronet is. It's one of those titles that I don't think you hear very often.
1: You always assume it's like a small baron.
0: Yeah, it does sound like that. But this is uh, not baronet, not et in the French style. Not like baguette or (laughs) cigarette. No, no, no. This is B-A-R-O-N-E-T. Right. Now, you know... A bit about baronets, do you? I do,
1: because my family is ridiculous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so without naming names...
1: So without naming names, my aunt Camilla, who's my young aunt, who's only five years older than me... Is um, that really important to tell us for this story? I mean, why <laughs> Like, she got married recently. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and, and to a lovely young man um, called Chris. I'll just do first names. Yeah. And Chris is the youngest son of a baronet. Yeah. Um which i thought was like super impressive and then you know obviously the baronet turns up to the wedding and he's just like this nice old boy and <laughs> yeah. his wife is hilarious and like everyone's music teacher
0: yeah a good old boy not a not a oh no
1: no not a, not an old boy but yeah. like a good old boy the sort of man who likes to spend a lot of time with his sons and his dogs
0: yeah so what exactly is a baronet
1: So, as far as I understand it, a baronet is a title that you're given that can be passed down between the generations, usually from father to son, usually from your father to your firstborn son. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a bit like being a knight in the UK, you can get knighted, um, but unlike being a knight, which just dies out with your generation, it is hereditary, and that's pretty much it. Yeah,
0: Yeah. so a baronet is considered... In terms of the hierarchy, it's slightly above a knight in that mm. regards. And you're absolutely right. It does pass down through the male line. And that is actually kind of important for this story here today. Uh, Baronets, they do frequently have estates that they can run.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it doesn't particularly come with like a parcel of land. But in this case, it does here. Okay, uh, Tichborne is a place in Hampshire.
1: Nice. Uh, I mean, wouldn't you want to live in a place called Tichborne? I know, it's great. It sounds so cute.
0: Now, this family is like old money. They've been baronets since 1621. Bloody hell, all right. Yeah, Sir Benjamin Tichborne was a member of Parliament and he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth I and then later made a baronet for Tichborne in Hampshire. Okay. Uh, so, as I said, they stand above knights in terms of the hierarchy and status, but it's not a peerage... It's not like a proper, you know...
1: You don't get to be in the House of Lords. No. And no one will actually think it's that important. Exactly. Unless they're lowly folks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So this has been passed down through the male line and we get to uh, Henry Tichborne, the 7th Baronet Tichborne. Right. And his sons.
1: What year is this again?
0: So, Roger Titchmore himself was born in 1829.
1: Okay. I was just checking, because we've got seven baronets since 1621. So, they must have lived quite a long time. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. They're very (laughs) long-lived. Yeah. So... James, who's the youngest son of Henry, not Mm -hmm. expected to inherit the title, really. No. Because he's got three older brothers, and as soon as one of... Like, if the eldest has a son, it's going to be passed to that. So he's not expected to be part of it.
1: No, you can just be chill and, like, presumably get a job.
0: Yeah. So James ended up getting married off. It was kind of an arranged marriage. Oh, shit. To a woman called Henriette. Now...
1: Henriette?
0: Henriette. Is she French? Yes, she is. Ah. Not only is she French, not only is she 21 years younger than James Tichborne, but she's also an illegitimate French royal.
1: Oh, that's fancy. Yeah. How do we feel... Like, how would they feel about illegitimate French royals? Because on the one hand, French royal. Mm. On the other hand, illegitimate.
0: Well, I think that from what I understand here, Henriette kind of had... A bit of a sort of protected state.
1: Okay. It was kind
0: of like, she wasn't official with anything, but God help you if you tried to mess with Henriette, because the upper classes would come after you.
1: Okay, I love Henriette already. I think (laughs) she sounds like she's a badass.
0: Well, sort of. Basically, the marriage between them was very rocky. Mm. As you would expect, because, you know... That's a big age gap. It's a big age gap, but not just that she's used to quite a luxurious life
1: and now she's married to the third son of a baronet yes right
0: uh the fourth son the,
1: fourth son? the Jesus. fourth son of a
0: baronet i mean
1: what's even the point i
0: know right you're getting nothing from that as such the two barely spent any time together oh no
1: <laughs> although i mean that might be the best situation often think... you get those ladies who like they get married and then they're like Let's just spend a lot of time apart and occasionally we'll try and get a child going. That
0: that is exactly what happened here. So James (laughs) stayed in England. Right. And Henriette stayed in Paris. Nice. They did get together on occasion because they did have, uh, well, they had four children, two sons and two daughters. But two daughters did die in infancy. Oh, Um, But they had two sons. There was Roger and there was Alfred. All right. Now, Roger was the apple of his mum's eye. Right. So as such, he didn't live in England for the most part. He stayed in France with her.
1: So he's more Roger.
0: Roger. Yes, exactly. He grew up speaking French. That Mm -hmm. was his primary language. He had a very heavy French accent, even though technically, by all accounts, he is English. Right. Now, James, at this point, he's got his older son. Yeah. And his brothers are not having male children.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. Are they having a load of
0: daughters? Is that what's going on? So his oldest brother had seven daughters.
1: Bloody hell. Yeah. Oh, you must feel so sorry for the younger daughters at yeah. that point when it's like they're starting to get names that are getting more and more boyish. We end up with a, like, <laughs> George uh, and yeah. an Olive Ear, and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Then the second son doesn't seem to have had any children at all. Right. And the third son, Edward, had one daughter, Catherine. okay. And then finally you have James who has his two sons. So right. at this point, you know, it's looking quite likely that James's line is going to inherit the title of baronet. Okay. So James decides that, you know, we should probably work on making Roger a bit less French.
1: Yeah, if he's going to inherit the <laughs> baronetcy of Tichborne. Yeah. Like, so... that's the least French sounding place <laughs> I've ever heard of. Oh yeah. my god.
0: So he wanted to make sure not only that Roger had, like, the proper education Mm -hmm. as befit an English aristocrat, but also that he would maybe stop speaking English with such a heavy French accent. I mean, sure. So he gets Roger sent back over to England in order to finish his education.
1: I'm already feeling sorry for Roger.
0: Well, this doesn't seem to be too bad. Roger kind of makes a pretty good go of it. He, He finishes his education and he takes a commission to join the Sixth Dragoon Guards. Nice, uh, okay. They're mainly based in Ireland.
1: Fine. That's it, not going to help with his accent at all. It's
0: not, no. But I think it's largely because <laughs> he never really seemed to have a good relationship with his dad. Right. I think because, you know, he, he was much closer to his mother, didn't really know his dad. So as such, even when he was on leave from Ireland, he would spend the time, rather than with his dad, he'd stay with his uncle Edward.
1: Oh, hey, right.
0: Who at this point because the older brothers have died out, is now the ninth baronet.
1: So is Edward the one with the one daughter?
0: Edward has the one daughter.
1: Right, okay. And so he's just chilling out there. He's just chilling out there. And the one
0: daughter is quite significant because Roger gets a bit of a crush on Catherine.
1: Oh, is that okay? Are we on the cusp of that being okay? Or is that not okay anymore? No. Oh, no.
0: So they are first cousins. Yeah. So this is very incestuous.
1: I mean, yes. The reason why I was asking is because um, if you look at Frankenstein for a moment, I know
0: that this is like. That is a hell of an aside. Okay.
1: If you look at (laughs) Frankenstein for a moment, so Frankenstein, when it was first published back in the early 1800s, Um, the girl that's brought up with Frankenstein that he marries, or is in love with, and was meant to get married to, yeah. is his cousin. Yes. But then it got re-edited and yeah. republished later on because times had changed and suddenly it wasn't okay to get married to your cousin.
0: So this is definitely of the era where it's not okay. Like okay. I think I think there is a bit of a cusp because there's a bit of a sort of like,
1: mm, mm. maybe,
0: maybe... But the problem here is not only did Roger have a crush on Catherine, but she seemed to reciprocate. Oh, no. Yeah.
1: Oh, no, guys. So
0: the two of them looked to be getting involved. And Uncle Edward and his wife basically went, no, Mm. we don't want this. There's already so much inbreeding in the English upper classes. I
1: mean, that's very true. We
0: can't have any more. (laughs) So they basically gave an ultimatum to Roger and said, we really like you. But we think the whole incest thing is super weird, so you are now forbidden from getting it on with Catherine.
1: I mean, fair, fair. Yeah. Um, Roger just doesn't seem to be having a great time. No. Now, they may
0: still... There is some suggestion that they may still have actually met secretly and still had a bit of a clandestine relationship with each other.
1: Ooh.
0: But they knew it's not going to last. No. So Roger, who's a bit pissed off because he can't marry his cousin... Oh, no. <laughs> ...decides to throw himself into his military life to sort of forget his woes. Fair. Problem is... Yeah? ...that the army is staying in the British Isles.
1: Right. And, and they're staying near his Uncle Edward's yeah, house. Yeah, well... Like... I mean, apparently
0: Roger is a little bit dramatic because even, even being in the same country is too <laughs> close... To being with the woman he loves and cannot be with.
1: Oh, Roger, he's such a romantic.
0: So he does the sensible thing and mm-hmm. resigns his commission. Right. And decides to go on a private tour of South America.
1: Awesome. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what you do when your heart is broken. So
0: there's there's a possible suggestion that this actually may have been a bit of an agreement between him and his uncle Edward, which yeah. is like, take three years... Have a sort of round the world voyage. If you're still in love with Catherine and she's still in love with you, we can try and work something out.
1: And meanwhile, we're going to take Catherine to a load of balls and things. Yes. Introduce her to a lot of nice young men (laughs) who she's not related to.
0: I mean, this is basically what happens. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know if that is just a story that was used to fob Roger off so that he'd get out of the picture for a while. Yeah. But either way, Roger decides to go to South America. Good plan. Yeah. So he leaves on March 1st, 1853, Mm
1: -hmm. and he
0: arrives in Valparaiso in Chile on the 19th of June. Okay. Now, this seems, I think it was a bit of a lackadaisical trip, because by the time he gets to there, some letters have already arrived for him.
1: That makes sense to me, though. Like, I don't know whether whether the Panama Canal had been built by that point. I have no idea. So it seems like it could be that he went over land and... The letters came by boat or something yeah, like that. Yeah,
0: that, that can make sense. But either way, he's got some letters and mm-hmm. they're informing him that his uncle Edward has died. <gasps> so now his father James is the Tichborne Baronet. Okay. Now this is like important stuff because at this stage... You know Pride and Prejudice? Yes, very
1: well. You know
0: Mr. Darcy?
1: Yes. You
0: know that he earns 10,000 a year? Oh,
1: Mr. Darcy, he has 10,000 a year. (laughs) Yes, go on.
0: The Tichborne Baronessy is worth 20,000 a year. Jesus, okay. Now, of course, this is later than Pride and Prejudice. so But it's only
1: like 50 years. It's
0: only 50 years. It's still worth, roughly in today's money, it's several million. Nice. Yeah.
1: Okay, so he's heartbroken and halfway across the world, but he is a millionaire.
0: Well, his dad is. Yeah. And presumably he will be too because he's the older brother. Mm. But he doesn't return home. Okay. He's got this tour to do. So it's some suggestion that maybe this is like him going around and doing it himself rather than being forced to go to get away from his cousin who, oh, oh, he can't get enough of her.
1: Oh, (laughs) what a babe.
0: (laughs) But he continues his South America tour. He goes around Peru. He crosses the Andes, reaching Buenos Aires. And heads for Rio de Janeiro. Okay. And there, he writes to his aunt that he's planning to go from Brazil to Jamaica, and then on to Mexico. Right. The plan is he's leaving for Jamaica on the twentieth of April, eighteen fifty-four, mm-hmm. on a ship called the Bella.
1: Right. This guy is like the al- ultimate gap year backpacker, really, is. really, isn't he? He's he doing really a great is. tour.
0: Yeah, but now tragedy strikes. Oh no. On the twenty-fourth of April. The remains of the capsized Bella are found.
1: Oh, no.
0: And there are no survivors. The Tichborne family are informed, but there is a glimmer of hope because there's rumours that an Australian-bound ship picked up survivors from a shipwreck. Okay. Despite this, there's no word about Roger Tichborne. Yeah. But Roger's mother doesn't give up hope. She's still insistent that, you know, there's a chance, so Mm -hmm. she's going to try and find him. So the years go by, we get to 1862, Henriette's still looking for her son, Mm -hmm. but now Sir James Tichborne dies. Right. So by all rights, the baronetcy should pass to Roger, but uh uh-oh, probably dead. At this stage, he is legally declared dead. Okay. So Alfred becomes the new baronet Tichborne. Okay. Alfred Is a bit of a twat. (laughs) Okay. Uh, That's a bit harsh. Basically, he's just (laughs) notoriously reckless with his money.
1: Okay, so not the kind of man that you want inheriting an estate worth millions. No,
0: absolutely not. Right. He basically brings them to near bankruptcy. How do you go from millions to near bankruptcy? I know. I don't know exactly. It's very hard to find out exactly what Alfred did. Yeah. But... Gambling. I mean, I'm imagining gambling. (laughs) Like, it gets to the point that they have to lease their land. Right. uh, So that they can actually afford to keep it. Do
1: you think it's easier to go from that huge amount of money to bankruptcy than it is to go from a normal amount of money to bankruptcy? I
0: mean, you're probably less careful when you've got that huge amount of money. Plus, if the implication here, I guess, is that Alfred, a bit of a wild child, probably doesn't really have a good head for this. Right. So he just knows he has money. He
1: hasn't had the special English training.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: in being a baronet. No, that because Roger has. Exactly,
0: because Roger was meant to be the baronet, but right. he's dead.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so Henriette, at this point, is kind of like, I need to find Roger. This is yeah. not just a mother looking for her son. This is to keep the family alive. Yeah. So she is desperate. In 1863. She contacts a clairvoyant.
1: What?
0: Yeah. She is she's like at this point she's exhausting opportunities. She's like, "Okay, I'm going to find a psychic to tell right. me." Right.
1: Okay, cuz if you contact Roger through a clairvoyant, then you know for sure he's dead, right?
0: Well, no, 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 because they could do remote viewing to see that he's alive. Basically- What? <laughs> yeah, she wants to know one way or another. Like okay. Like, they can sense that he's still alive,
1: you Oh, know? right.
0: Yeah. Mm. This isn't a medium, this is a clairvoyant. Oh,
1: right, okay. I didn't realise there was a distinction, and I apologise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's not that important enough to really go into the distinctions between them. Right. Like, clairvoyancy is, like, seeing into the distance and everything like that. Okay. Um, but this clairvoyant says- Roger is 100% still alive. Ooh.
1: Okay.
0: Henriette, kind of buoyed by this, redoubles her efforts. Alfred is useless. She knows Roger's alive. Yeah. Or she 100% believes Roger's alive. So in May 1865, she contacts a gentleman called Arthur Cubitt, who is in Australia. Right. And he is head of the Missing Friends Agency. Okay. They're kind of a private detective group who specialise in finding missing people. Now, she knows the rumours that there was a ship bound for Australia Mm -hmm. that passed by and picked up survivors from a shipwreck. So she's like, hey, put the feelers out. My son may be in Australia.
1: But, okay. But if your son was in Australia... Yeah. Why wouldn't he have message to say he was okay?
0: Well... Part of the problem is that by the time Roger went on to the Bella, he appears to have lost his passport. Right. He appears to be low on money. Right. Without much way of identifying himself or being able to actually, you know, prove who he is and the legitimacy of anything he says.
1: I'm not sure he's going to be any better than Alfred then, if he's like just jamming about, being like, eh. I don't know. I
0: think we can give Roger some slack. Because stuff happens when you're on holiday. You might accidentally lose something. It's different... It's different, like, losing your passport than losing your family's millions.
1: That's true. But... Okay, maybe... Maybe I just don't know how it worked back in the 1800s. But Mm. nowadays, if you lose your passport, you can go to the British embassy in whatever country you're in Mm. and be like, I've lost a passport. And then you pay them a bunch of money and they give you another passport.
0: But he doesn't have money.
1: But how does he get on the Bella? Um,
0: Presumably through some arrangements with people. I mean, Roger seems like a pretty decent chap. He can talk his way onto passage on a ship.
1: Apparently so. I'm, I'm starting to think he's a bit dodged. That's all I'm saying. He'll be like, excusez-moi, monsieur. I am a British aristocrat.
0: I am Roger Tichbon.
1: <laughs> I am Roger.
0: Well, Et either way... <laughs> I've. <j'ai> either- <laughs>
1: <oublié mon passeport. laughs>
0: All right, be, be be a little bit, like, kinder to Roger, and particularly to his mum. She's mean, having I lo- <laughs> a traumatic time of it, all right?
1: That's fair enough. Love his mum, nothing wrong with her. Yeah. Um, that said, I'm going to also say, I think if you're at the point where you're contacting clairvoyants to check whether your son's alive, yeah. then your clairvoyant will know that you're desperate enough to know that your son is alive, that they will say, yes, your son is alive.
0: I think, though, what we're looking at here is basically this... This gives Henriette the absolute certainty that he is alive, so she is going to find him come what may. Before it's like there is a possibility he's dead. Right. Now she absolutely believes he's alive and can be found.
1: I just think that clairvoyant needs to be sued. Okay,
0: yeah, fine. Well, either we'll way... We'll go back in time. We'll either see way, the clairvoyant. let's get back to my bloody story before you completely derail
1: it. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs>
0: So she goes to the missing friends agency Mm -hmm. and hires them. She gives details of the shipwreck and a description of her son, uh, describing him as of a delicate constitution, rather tall, uh, with very light brown hair and blue eyes. Sounds hot. He is quite a slim, kind of rakish looking gentleman. Mm. We do actually have some pictures of him. Uh, While he was in South America, he had a couple of daguerreotypes taken of him. Nice. So we do have pictures of what he looked like. A substantial reward is offered for anyone who can definitively determine Roger's fate. So there's still a little bit of leeway in there. He still might be dead. Sure. But you know.
1: Like, tell us that he's dead. Exactly. Say you were part of that ship that picked up people on the Bella and he was not there. Yeah. Right.
0: In October, the same year, Arthur Cubitt sends news to Henriette that Roger has been found.
1: What? A lawyer
0: in Wagga Wagga... (laughs)
1: <laughs> I love Australian names. I know.
0: It's so good. So good. <laughs> this lawyer identified a butcher by the name of Thomas Castro as Roger Tichborne.
1: Right. Castro
0: had to file for bankruptcy because his butcher business was going nowhere, apparently. Okay. <laughs> and during the hearing that happened, he talked about how he had come from England, he had survived a shipwreck, mm-hmm. that he had claimed to land in England... And he was also known to smoke a pipe with the initials R.C.T. Okay. Roger Charles Titchborne. Right. Castro confessed that Thomas Castro was an assumed name and that the initials on the pipe were for his real name. Right. He basically claims that when he was in the shipwreck, he suffered basically brain damage. Right.
1: I mean, fair enough. It must be a bit of a traumatic event. Yeah.
0: Yeah. His memory was all muddled. He didn't yeah. know... This is why, like, one of the suppositions as to why he wouldn't have got in contact. Like, yeah. When that, when the memory is sparked with like, hey, we're looking for this guy, Roger Tichborn.
1: And he's like, oh, I think that might be my name. That yeah, might sure. be me. I've been <laughs> yeah. looking
0: at this pipe and it says RCT. And I keep thinking, <laughs> those are familiar.
1: That, that does ring a bell. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the lawyer basically goes, I found Roger. Mm-hmm tells Arthur. Arthur tells Henriette and Henriette agrees to help pay for Thomas slash Roger's trip to England. Right. Now, in case of another shipwreck, because they're a bit worried about that right now. Yeah, fair enough. A will is written up. Okay. And in this will, I'm going to now call him what he's generally referred to as. Like, they don't... He doesn't tend to get referred to as... Roger Tichborne, or as Thomas Castro, he's generally just called the claimant, or the Tichborne claimant. Okay. Uh, In this world, the claimant wrote his mother's name was Hannah Francis Tichborne. Already? That's Mm -hmm. wrong. It also dispensed with various bits of land that the family didn't own. Right? (laughs) When pressed about details of his past as Roger Tichborne, the claimant was kind of vague. Well, he's had brain damage. Well, this is possible, yeah. Henriette wasn't discouraged. She was kind of of your thinking as well. You know, he's been through some terrible things. Mm -hmm. But she is, she's definitely like, he's here, he's coming home. Yeah. It may be that she was also desperate because Alfred had actually died earlier that year as well. Oh, no! (laughs) Yeah. So at this point, it's really quite necessary that they get Roger back.
1: Is there, like, another heir after (laughs) Alfred's? So
0: it would go to Alfred's son, because Alfred did have a son. Right. Which is, again, why it's important to determine the legitimacy of this title.
1: Sure. But I'm assuming Alfred's son is, like, little at this point.
0: Yeah. Now, it took some time to raise the funds, because, you know, Alfred Sr. brought the family to bankruptcy. Great. So during this time, uh, the claimant, he started living the high life in Sydney, Okay. Because he was now, he was free of his bankruptcy problems because he was basically like, I'm Roger Titchborne I've got money back in England. I'm good for it. And everyone yeah. was like, you're good for it, mate.
1: Um, <laughs> you're clearly Roger
0: Titchborne. Clearly... Do you have
1: a French accent? <laughs> uh, he
0: didn't, actually.
1: Oh, It's weird, that, isn't it? That's one of those things that people get with brain stuff, though, isn't it? Mm. Like, you get those people where they do brain surgery and then you can speak a different language when they're pressing <laughs> on a thing. Like, it's totally a thing.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Mm.
1: Does he have an English accent, at least, or is he actually, like, full-on Australian?
0: Why well, he's got a Cockney accent, oh Governor!
1: <laughs> yes, of course, Roger Titchborne would have a Cockney accent.
0: Yeah. So he moves to Sydney for a while and kind of lives the high life. And nice. during this time, he actually meets with two people who were former servants of the Titchborne household. That's a weird coincidence. Yeah. So there was a gardener called Michael Gufoyle. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is that right pronunciation? How's it spelled? Uh, G-U-I-L-F-O-Y-L-E.
1: Guilfoyle? I don't know. I'm uh, sure. I don't know.
0: sure i do not know i do not know if it was like a French pronunciation. Hard to say. Yeah. So Michael initially was like, Roger, this is you. Yeah. I, I recognise you as Roger Titchborne. Okay. And then the claimant asked him for money so that he could help get him back home to England. <laughs> and Michael went, you're not Roger. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it. Yeah. Like, you're a former servant of this household. You can't be expected to cough up because this guy needs to get back to England. <laughs> but like I said, there were two servants and the other was Andrew Bogle. Right. And Bogle was a former slave who left a Jamaican plantation and went to England and worked as a servant for Sir Edward Tichborne. Okay. Now, Bogle was quite old at this point mm. and at first, he did not recognise Roger. Right. I should point out... The the claimant yes. was considerably heavier yeah. <laughs> than Roger was. Okay. Roger was always described as very sort of lied, very slim. Mm. And the claimant is, at this point, about
1: 200, 210 pounds. Well, the claimant was a butcher, right? Yeah. So he had that good meat to eat. (laughs) Yes. Like, Roger's all sad and heartbreaky. The claimant, if he is indeed still Roger, has had time of having total amnesia from his heartbreak and total access to beef.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the claimant was... He was uh, quite the glutton. Um, <laughs> by the time he went to England, and by the time he was sort of wandering about, apparently he weighed up to 400 pounds. Good Lord. Which is 181 kilos for anyone who measures by that.
1: That must have been quite unusual in those days.
0: I mean, yeah. Like, you can see there are photos taken of the claimant, and he is... He's a hefty boy. Woof! <laughs> you couldn't knock him over with a pail of water.
1: Well, he's living it up in Sydney. Yeah. He's got all the finest, like, wine women in a song, one assumes. Yeah.
0: So despite these differences in physical form, Andrew Bogle eventually acknowledges that the claimant is Roger Tichborn. Right. And he actually asserted this for the rest of his life. He was okay. like, this man I have met is Roger Tichborne. I know this.
1: Okay. So maybe it's one of those things when you meet somebody and you don't quite right away recognise yeah. that you know who they are. Yeah. I which has happened to everyone, right? Like yeah. you meet someone that you knew when you were kids and yeah. then later on you're like, Oh, it's you and then you share loads of like fond memories. Exactly. And you realise their mannerisms are the same and yeah. you're like, Yeah, of course you're that person. So we have to remember as
0: well that Bogle was quite old. Yeah. The claimant Or Roger had changed quite a lot. So it makes perfect sense that you wouldn't recognise him straight away.
1: That's true. I want to know what Bogle was doing in Australia. I
0: do too, but it doesn't really say because you know, history doesn't really talk much about former slaves, then servants. Like
1: this guy seems to have had an awesome life. He does like I I mean obviously not the beginning of it, but it sounds so interesting. Yeah.
0: But we're gonna stick with the Titchborne family for this story. Yeah, of course. So the claimant makes his way over to England. And at first, he doesn't actually go to see his mother.
1: He... Oh no, poor Henriette. No,
0: at first, he goes around whopping for a bit. <laughs> now, this is actually significant, but I'll tell you why later. <laughs> okay. But just know that he's basically spent a little bit of time wandering around, particularly whopping. Right. And then he goes to visit his, visit his mother. Yeah, in, yeah. In inverted commas. Uh, He also meets with the Tichborne family solicitor, Mm -hmm. as well as the family doctor. Okay. The doctor performs a thorough examination. Right. And basically says, this man is Roger Tichborne. I know because of birthmarks and because there is some speculation that Roger Tichborne had some sort of malformation of his genitals
1: right and
0: the claimant apparently possesses the same malformation
1: okay
0: I don't know what this is because I <laughs> to be honest I didn't particularly want to google that
1: no you, you definitely don't
0: <laughs> no but basically it clearly didn't stop him having kids because at this point the claimant actually had a wife and two daughters oh okay but whatever it was hmm. was significant enough that the doctor goes I know that penis <laughs>
1: Okay, okay.
0: And not only that, but the claimant can now recall memories with accuracy regarding his earlier life as Roger Tichborne. He remembers an incident with fly fishing or something that was apparently particularly significant. And so now, all that stuff earlier, when he was a bit hazy about it, that yeah. seems to have vanished.
1: Okay. Could this be because he's met a couple of servants and had some chats with them, though? Quite possibly. Right. Henriette, though, she's convinced.
0: Mm-hmm. She is so happy to have her son back. She begins giving him a monthly allowance, accepts the new family as well. Yeah. Like, it's basically, you're now, you're my family. We're, we're part of the Tichborne family. The rest of the Titchborne family are not convinced.
1: I feel so sorry for Henriette.
0: I know, I do too. I think she really just wanted her she son back. She
1: really wanted him back. Yeah.
0: I mean, it makes sense because she's basically had this really rough marriage. Yeah. Like, her son was the apple of her eye.
1: Yeah. Her other son was... Useless. Rubbish.
0: <laughs> now, as I say, the rest of the family are unconvinced. Yeah. Roger Tichborne was legally declared dead. Right. So in order to stake his claim on the title, and thus the money and rights that mm-hmm. go along with it, he has to establish his identity in court. Okay. This definitely doesn't look good for the claimant. They're not going to have him whip his cock out. No. <laughs> especially because there's no, like, official record of this. Just a family doctor who knows his penises.
1: Yeah. I mean, is there any chance the family doctor just really likes Henriette and is like, <laughs> we'll just go with it? Like... Yeah,
0: quite possibly. And not only this, the claimant doesn't speak French. Doesn't no. have a trace of an accent. As I say, he speaks with a Cockney accent.
1: Mm, wonder why he was hanging around... Whopping. Yep.
0: He also said that he could not identify the contents of a sealed package that Roger Tichborne had given to a steward to open in certain circumstances. Okay. He couldn't identify. he did couldn't say the circumstances and he couldn't say what was in the package. Now this is right. a steward of his uncle's house. So the Tichborne family are kind of like, We got this in the bag. Not only is there all this evidence, but we've got money to hire detectives mm-hmm. and they're producing witnesses like in the first court case because there are multiple. I'm Great. not really going to go into all of them. I'm going to kind of <laughs> smush them together a bit. Good, thank you. But ultimately they have about 200 witnesses. <laughs> oh
1: my God. Who that's... are
0: prepared to go forward and say this man is not Roger Tichborne.
1: I mean that seems like it's sort of sealed up then
0: isn't it? A little bit and because what the claimant has on his side is not very much. No. Because as I say family was going a bit bankrupt there. <sighs> yeah. So they start... He and his lawyer start doing something quite intriguing. All right. He has become a bit of a popular figure in London and all of England, in fact, because it's kind of seen as a connection between the classes. Now, at this point, there is a very big class distinction in England. Yes, definitely. Roger Tichborne, in the eyes of the upper classes, was seen as this, like, Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Opportunist. Right. Who's discovered this story, Mm -hmm. fabricated a few things, and now he's just trying to get a hold of money from poor Henriette. Yes. The lower classes see this is a man who went from being a noble, essentially, to having this terrible experience and then forced to live like us yeah. for a while. He knows our struggles and everything He knows like that. what
1: it's like to be working class. Exactly. His wife is presumably working yep, class. Yeah, she is. Um, He's actually spent time doing some solid labour work because he's a butcher, which must take a lot of strength.
0: Yeah. So he's kind of now seen as almost like a Robin Hood figure. He's yeah. kind of the hero of the common man. Okay. So the claimant and his lawyer start issuing bonds. And people can buy these bonds to pay for the legal fees and the idea is that when the claimant is proved to be Roger Tichborne they'll get the money back and more on top of it and this actually works they raise I think it was I read they raise £90,000
1: wow okay
0: in order to pay these legal fees is that
1: like in today's money?
0: Uh, I couldn't tell
1: Probably in today's money. It's
0: probably in today's money, because otherwise it would be...
1: It would be ridiculous. Millions
0: and millions. But either way... Yeah. Like, considering you're getting a lot of poor people to give you, like, small amounts of money, pretty significant.
1: Yeah, okay. So there's loads of poor people who like this guy... Yeah. ...and want him to succeed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the case goes back and forth for a long while, but ultimately the real deciding factor is Henriette. hmm She claims this man is her son. Yeah. And... As long as she keeps claiming that, his position is kind of secure. Okay. Unfortunately, Henriette dies in 1868. Okay. And thus, not only did the claimant lose his most ardent supporter, but also his main source of income. Yeah. The case began to go against him, especially with the uncovering of the existence of a butcher from Wapping Mm -hmm. by the name of Arthur Orson who was shipwrecked in South America. Don't know why he was there, but he was known (laughs) to be shipwrecked in South America and picked up by a ship bound for Australia.
1: Okay.
0: So obviously people start drawing comparisons between the two. Mm. They basically see Arthur Orton as a man who had a failed butchery business in Wapping... Tries to flee the country to escape his debts. Mm-hmm. Gets shipwrecked. Mm-hmm. Tries to set up another butcher shop in Australia. Yeah. Fails. Here's the story going around of, from the missing friends agency of... There's this English noble who yeah. was in a shipwreck in South America and is possibly now in Australia. Mm. And
1: he's like, hang on a second. I was in a shipwreck in South America exactly. and I'm now in Australia.
0: Exactly. So this was why the trip to Wapping when he first arrived in mm. England is so significant they're arguing is that he made inquiries about the history of the Tichborne family. Yeah. And, as you say, possibly talked to servants. And that's how suddenly he had all these memories. He knew all these things and it was all accurate. But there are still things that even to this day are unknown about the case. Why, for example, did no one in Valparaiso know Roger Tichborne? Mm. No one knew the name Tichborne, but they did know... Of an Englishman whom they called Arturo, okay, which is Arthur,
1: right.
0: So, presumably, Tichborne would be noticeable, whereas Arthur Orton would not be particularly.
1: No, he's just some guy. Exactly, but no one knows Tichborne. Right, but they recognise Arthur's. They recognise Arthur.
0: Yeah, they recognise an Englishman called Arthur, not not Roger Tichborne. That's really weird. Yeah and despite earlier claiming that he did not know the contents of this sealed package or the details of it yeah the claimant later basically said that he didn't want to say because of the problems it would cause sure this was a package that was to be opened in the event that Catherine was pregnant
1: Okay. And it
0: contained detailed instructions of how to provide for Roger's child. Right. So presumably they have still been at it yeah. before Roger goes to South America. Yeah. He's kind of like, mm, she what? Might if? Be pregnant? Yeah. I'm going away, we need to have some contingencies." Now, this is particularly shocking. Like, the affair between Roger and Catherine is not particularly well-known, and the family did try and keep it hushed up.
1: And you don't want to say that in a court of law. Exactly. Because that's going to get Catherine into trouble. Exactly. And now he's married to someone else, so that's never happened. And
0: she's married to someone else as well. So at this point, the upper class is completely turned against him. Like, people who are wavering, absolutely against him now. Yeah. Because he is besmirching the name of Catherine.
1: Yeah, Poor Catherine, Jesus. I know,
0: right? Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm glad she got married to somebody who wasn't her first cousin. I mean, I do
0: too, but the whole thing just seems very tragic.
1: Yeah. But then there's other stuff as
0: well. Like, that seems to be pretty pretty well in the claimant's favour. That is not something that you could find out by searching around whopping. No. But then at the same time, the claimant knew very little of anything of the education that Roger Tichborne had received. He knew nothing at all of Latin or who Virgil was. Right. Knew nothing of chemistry. And these were subjects that Roger was interested in. Yeah. And had known to have taken.
1: I mean, I'm just sort of loving the whole... He knew nothing of who Virgil was. It was like, oh this is Yeah, no, I get that. Virgil was interested
0: in this. Yeah. Like this was the stuff he did.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: So why did this guy not know anything about it? Now the possibility and it is suggested is that he had brain damage. Yeah. Because he'd been in this shipwreck. Either it was trauma, it was a physical injury, perhaps. Mm. But we don't know, because this is the sort of stuff that, like, medically you couldn't search for at the time.
1: Well, it's starting to sound like his whole trip was, like, to Brazil and to South America in general was just a bit weird. Yeah. Like, if, if he had turned up in, what's that place beginning with V again? Valparaiso. If he'd turned up in Valparaiso calling himself Arturo, mm-hmm. or Arthur, um, and this was, like, Roger doing so... Yeah then that would have been, like... Okay, so either he's so frustrated by his previous life that yeah. he's just, like, completely ignoring it, mm. and then during the shipwreck, like, that just takes on a whole nother level. Mm. Maybe he wants to escape from the whole thing and just actually goes along with this idea and ignores all of his past for so long and becomes a butcher. Like, yeah. not just because he's got amnesia and brain damage, but also because... Um, he just doesn't want to go back to all of that.
0: Yeah. He's kind of... He's got this... He has this assumed identity that then becomes his identity. Yeah. It's quite possible. But ultimately, the case collapses. As I say, the Tichborn family, they had money on their side. They had these 200 witnesses. Mm-hmm. Even though... There were close friends and fellow soldiers who said that the claimant was Roger and that they had spoken with the claimant. Yeah. And were like, he knows stuff that we talked about. This is Roger Tichborne. One of the witnesses against the claimant was Lord Bellew, who okay. was a close friend of Roger, and he revealed that Roger Tichborne had a number of body tattoos. The claimant had none.
1: Okay.
0: Now, despite the fact that the jury was insistent that this was not the only piece of evidence that was important, but they found against him.
1: Roger Tichborne had a load of tattoos?
0: Yeah, apparently so. In
1: the 1850s? Apparently
0: so. Apparently he had two tattoos on his arm and possibly one on his chest. Wow. Yeah.
1: Okay, he's kind of modern, isn't he? I know,
0: right? It's crazy.
1: Like... I know they did tattoos in those days, but I couldn't really imagine a member of the upper class doing it. Maybe because he's a soldier?
0: I think this is why it's so significant. Yeah. Because obviously this is not something that you would expect. But Lord Bellew, who you know, he's a lord. He's, he's, mm. a, he's, a, he's a gentleman of worth. Mm. He comes forward and says, Oh yes, I know Roger. Oh, Roger boy. He's got a tattoo of a mermaid on one arm and a great big chicken on the other. <laughs> um, but either way, either way, He doesn't have these tattoos. The jury finds against him and the claimant is actually found guilty of perjury.
1: I mean, you would be if you thought that he'd been totally lying the whole time. So he actually gets imprisoned. Oh
0: no. Yeah.
1: But public appeal
0: is still high and he was able still to raise money and appeal the decision. Wow. Ultimately it didn't get him anywhere. No. (laughs) He was never given legal right to the Tichborne family and its estates. He actually, after getting released from prison, he became a music hall performer.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Really? Basically just because he was popular. Sure. It it doesn't say whether or not he was any good, but you know, the public liked him. They liked Mm -hmm. his story. So they came along to see him more than to see him perform.
1: I mean, that's pretty good. It is pretty
0: good. Especially
1: because he doesn't sound like he was a good butcher.
0: No. And to be honest, interest waned after a while. Sure. They moved on to the next big thing. He started losing money. Mm. In 1895, he was paid a few hundred pounds for a newspaper article where he admitted that he was Arthur Orton and a con artist. Aww. Despite the fact that during his imprisonment and since then, he continually claimed his identity was Roger Titchborn, he immediately recanted his confession, basically saying that he was so desperate for money that yeah. he was going to say anything. He set up a shop in Islington, which right? failed. Oh. He set up another shop, which failed. Oh. And basically lived in poverty until he died on April 1st, 1898. Which I should mention is April Fool's Day. Oh my God. Could this be significant? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say it is. Well, okay. Anyway, he was buried in an unmarked pauper's grave. But despite this, people kind of remembered this story and were like, oh, that's actually quite sad. Apparently 5,000 people attended his funeral in a pauper's grave and the family actually allowed his coffin like even though the grave was unmarked they allowed his coffin to be buried with a plaque reading that the occupier was Sir Roger Charles Doughty Tichborne. So even though they did kind of screw him over
1: Yeah. they kind of in the end. And that's pretty significant,
0: that, to be honest.
1: That's a really weird move for them. Yeah. Like, is that just to like, as a sop to public opinion? I
0: have no idea. I don't know. Like, this is what's so fascinating to me about this case is that I think there's a lot of backdoor dealings that we do not have access to because it was all sort of done in person. We don't have writing about it. I think there was a lot going on. I think that people were being bribed left, right and centre yes. on both sides. I don't know. I it's. I would be fascinated to know if there is any like definitive evidence one way or other. I don't think there is. Mm. If someone has an opinion, whether you think the claimant was Roger Tichborne or whether or not it was this guy Arthur Orton or Thomas Castro... Write in. That would be great. I would love to hear some theories about this. If there's any
1: hidden information out there, if you're part of the Tichborn family (laughs) and you know the secrets, let us know. So
0: I've not given the entire story because like I I kind of rushed a bit towards the end just to sort of get it together because there's a lot of different stuff. There are a lot of different legal cases. Mm. For example, the first legal case was actually to try and evict... Uh, the colonel who was leasing the property on the Tichborne land. Right, okay. <laughs> but this this would have established Sir Roger's identity. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, there's there's a few extra things like that that I haven't included. Um, But do feel free, like I say, write in. Tell us your theories. I'd be so interested to know.
1: I'm going to be honest, I've got no idea. I know,
0: it's crazy. I mean,
1: I'm leaning towards the idea that this guy was just a con man and that he, like... He seems to have been quite charismatic and got on with mm. people quite well, so he seems to be the kind of person who would have been able to talk to, say, servants and pick up on things and, under- and learn things from Henriette and then be able to get this thing going.
0: But how do you explain the malformed penis?
1: I think the doctor made it up. <laughs> That because no possible. one's going to question that, yeah, are they? Know, right? It's the Victorian era. If you're like, well, this guy's got a malformed penis, like everyone's going to be so shocked they're not going to say
0: anything. I also don't know what that means in this context.
1: I mean, but this is Victorian times, right? This is yeah, a time either when way, that's this not, is time when penis. Talk. This is a time when <laughs> ladies used to cover up the legs of tables because yeah. they were so shocked that legs could exist in any sense. Yeah. Like, if your doctor comes to the stage and goes, I know that this man is Sir Roger Tichborne yeah. because of issues with his genitals. Everyone's going to be like, shut up. We don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> like, fine. He's Roger Tichborne, whatever. <laughs> but then, okay.
0: What about the box? What about the box with the details of what what should happen in case Catherine's pregnant?
1: Okay. So, like I said, my theory comes from this idea that he was Understanding with servants and stuff. Okay. Imagine that you're on one of these big estates mm. and you're like sneaking around canoodling, being like, hee hee, like I'm getting it together with my cousin. Mm. Um,
0: as you do. As
1: you do. <laughs> um, like, I bet it's kind of impossible to. Do that without someone noticing. Yeah. Like, because there's all kinds of people all over the place. It's not like nowadays if you're living on a big estate and you've got like your family and maybe a cleaning lady who comes in once a day. Yeah. You've, you've got people permanently there. You'll have gardeners. You'll have maids. You'll have laundresses. Like, someone would have seen it.
0: That's true, I suppose. Yeah. I guess the problem we kind of have is there's a lot of, there's a lot of ideas and technology that's of the era. Yeah. And this really influences stuff in this case. Like, if this is modern day, we can do a DNA test. It's fine. (laughs) Obviously, we can't do that. We could look at CCTV footage today. We can't do that. Like, a black box on the ship. Mm. Anything like that. This is just, like, it is a modern problem for a Victorian era.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a problem that actually turns up a reasonable number of times in history. Yeah. You do get a lot of false claimants to the throne, for example, who claim to be someone's illegitimate son. And it's like, genuinely no idea. Could be.
0: (laughs) And this is the thing. We end this with no idea. Mm. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But...
1: We do know he was a very bad butcher.
0: We do know he was a terrible butcher. And he is immortalised in a number of ways. There are a number of stories. I believe there's a film about him. But also, as you mentioned earlier, there is a pub in Billingshurst in England. (laughs) And it's wonderful. I used to pass it when I would commute from Sussex to Surrey to go to university. If you pass it in one direction, the sign is of a slim, dapper gentleman with a Mm moustache and a fancy hat, looking very fancy. You pass it the other side. It's this great big corpulent fat bastard (laughs) just kind of leering at you from the sign. So they get it both ways and that is the Sir Roger. And I've never been, so I cannot advertise it, Mm. but I just love the sign.
1: It's a very good pub sign.
0: It's a good pub sign. And that is how we will immortalise the story of Sir Roger Tichborne and the Tichborne claimant.
1: Wonderful stuff. Thank, thank you very you. much.
0: And thank you very much for listening to this episode of That Time When. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for our intro uh, and for any other music that I've put in here. Uh, rate and review us. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify. And thank you to these new wonderful microphones. Mm. So that hopefully our voices are incredibly
1: clear. If you want to get in touch and ask us to cover a story you happen to know about, our... Um, uh- Email address is ttwpod at gmail.com. Uh, Twitter is that time When 4 mm-hmm. <laughs> And we'll have a Facebook group at some point.
0: Yeah, at some point. I'm thinking about doing an Instagram as well.
1: Oh, fancy. Yeah.
0: But either way, we will see you next week for another episode of That Time When.